Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's a good time. I just, I love being with God. Thanks for leading worship today, Melissa. It was really good, really good. God's, God's good. I mean, I've, I've said it for years. I've been in worship times when it's, everything's dialed, a huge worship team and PAs and hundreds or thousands of people, and it just was like kind of flat, you know? And then you got some guy with a guitar sometimes, or, and ev- but everybody's in and worshiping and wants to be there, and it's different. It's different. I mean, some of the best times that I've spent with groups of people have been in a home group or at a prayer meeting or something, and there's no... Because all that stuff is gone. That's good, but I, I don't know. I'm not convinced all the big stuff is the best. I'm, I'm just not convinced. I've done it. I've been on the worship teams, and, you know, it, it can be great. I'm not discounting it at all. But I just, I want to be with God and I want to be with God's people. And if all that stuff gets in the way, it gets in the way. It really does, you know. Because either, either the worship people are trying to be so good or the people are so admiring the goodness of the worship team. It's like, I don't want any of that stuff. I just, I want Jesus, man. And it's like, I don't know. I don't want to get too hard into that, but... It's, I mean, but at the same time, there's, we've had some wonderful worship times with a big gathering and big worship teams because if everybody's heart's there, that's all that matters because God blesses unity. He doesn't bless excellence, you know? He does, but he really loves unity. And when we're all there worshiping him, it's different. It's different. I heard somebody or read, if you take one piano tuning fork and tune 100 pianos, they're all in tune to the same thing. Whereas if they try to be in tune with each other, they're going to be off a little bit. But if you tune them all with the same fork, and if we're all in that zone with Jesus, that one fork where it just focus on one thing, it's going to, God blesses that. He loves it. And I think it just opens up the door for the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's where I want to be. I want to be there more. You know? And I hope, I hope we can get there more and be there more constantly and keep ourselves there. Um, and Jesus said that, remain, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's what he wants. Because it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to get there, but then come out. It's good you were there. It's good we were there. And then, then you come out and then you come back in like a squirrel, you know. <laughs> and, or somebody else said measles. It's like spiritual measles. You're there and then you're not. And you got spots all over you, you know what I mean? And if we can just learn to stay and remain and not... Not uh, give in to the self-pity when we do mess up, because we're going to, you know? But let's not focus on messing up either, you know? I think some of us get so like, oh, I'm going to sin, or, I'm, I, you know, it's like they almost feel like they have to sin today. I don't believe that. Jesus Christ didn't die, so we would have to sin today. I believe we can live in victory and go days or weeks or months, or I don't know, without sinning. If we focus on Him. And if you do, great. Not great, but we have an advocate, someone who paid the price for us. And when the judgment comes, the judge says, innocent, because he's paid the price. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm so, so grateful because I've sinned, you know, I've sinned claiming I'm not a sinner or claiming I'm a Christian, you know, as we all have. But if we can live in that freedom... That's why he died. Have you thought about just for freedom? He didn't die that we could be 
happy. He, we will be, I believe. He didn't die that we could be famous or rich or anything else in the world. He died so we could be free. Yes. The one thing is just <sighs> all those burdens lifted, all that guilt, regret. I think, to me, one of the worst things is living with regret. And we all have some regret of some form or another. I just, oh, I hate that feeling. And it's usually mixed with guilt, right? Yeah. But man, I, I wish I hadn't have done that. You know? I wish I hadn't have said those things to those people. And you just, you have that regret. And some, hopefully it's momentary. You know, you mess up a little things. And, uh, but I just, I, I would just hate for us to live in regret when Jesus died to remove all of that. You know? He's so good. I, I, I heard a story on the radio recently. I think it was Dr. Dobson's uh, show. And they, they used to have this program where they would train their kids. They'd go through this eight-week class or whatever it was. And they would give them a purity ring, you know, and just talk about premarital sex and, and saving yourself till you're married and all this stuff. And uh, long story short... The daughter wound up getting pregnant, and the, they, the parents were just crushed, and the daughter was just messed up and all this stuff. And, and the husband, this is what I remember, the husband rolled over to his wife, and he looked at her. It was like the middle of the night, and he goes, the program didn't work. And you could just sense, like, the regret, you know? And I uh, started to start on kind of a low note. I didn't intend to go here. I usually don't. But... Jesus Christ can take all of that. He can take all of it. We don't have to live there no matter what's happened. You know, and it kind of, we're talking about maturity today and that kind of goes there because if we have those regrets, big or small, he can take them. He can take all of it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, if you don't mind. Sorry, I forgot my Bible. My wife reminded me last couple times I preached, one particular time, about two or three months ago, I started talking about Abraham. And uh, I kind of wanted to go back to it, and she reminded me of it this week. I was like, or last week actually, I was like, oh yeah, I kind of wanted to go back to that. Because the word literally, you know how that happens? Sometimes the words just jump out at you when you read scripture. And ironically, the word had just like jumped out at me. And I'm all had, H-A-D. Genesis chapter 12, verse one, the call of Abraham, or Abram at the time. But I couldn't, I was like, why, Lord? What's, what do you mean the word had? That's a, what do they call that? A linking verb or something? I don't know. And, but that whole thing of Abraham had lived in the past. He had lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. This is post-Tower of Babel time. The same Tower of Babel people who wanted to, who in their pride and humanity wanted to get to God and think that they could do anything. In fact, God said they would be able to if they continued on with the same language, which is why God actually came down, it says, and went there and confused their languages. But that's, that's the society and the culture that Abraham came out of. God had told him to leave while he was still there, 75 years old. God said, leave Ur of the Chaldeans and all of the things you know and he says specifically your father's family and the place of your birth and all that stuff. 
and go to the land I will show you. And I've just had this kind of ongoing revelation of just leaving the past, leaving the past. So let's go ahead and just read a few verses there. The Lord had said to Abraham, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And then he gives him this promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I, meaning God, will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left. And there's just tons of truth in that. That God spoke and Abraham obeyed. And I don't even think Abraham needed the promise necessarily, but God's gracious and he gives us promises, promises of freedom, promises of peace, promises that I will take away your shame. And are we walking in that and have we left our past? Have we really left our past and said, Lord, it's in the past. You know that silly movie, The Lion King. The monkey hits the lion and, and he says, hey, what did you do that for? He goes, don't worry about it. It's in the past. <laughs> Pretty brilliant, isn't it? But yet, do, do we hang on to stuff? You know? I mean, it's like, it's like I, f- I feel like sometimes our heart, our emotions, our psyche, whatever, it's like a magnet or a lint thing that just collects all this crap, you know? as we go through life. And if we're not conscious and mature in ourselves and in God, all that stuff just collects and it comes with us and it becomes that baggage. We know the analogy, you know, but we have to just let all that stuff go. It's not easy. We all have stuff from our childhood. You know, I was bullied and teased in seventh grade, (laughs) you know, so you can carry stuff like that. And, or, you can choose to, in Christ, overcome. Does that mean we become the opposite and I become a bully myself? No, that's ridiculous. But I kind of have, do have soft a soft spot in my heart for lonely people, you know? Does that mean I have some ministry to lonely people now? Not necessarily. But I know God's used that for the good, for my good. And, uh, you know... My wife has a a few health issues and we've had to work through some of that stuff. You know, she wakes up in the morning, she just feels terrible some days. And we've had to work through that and it's given both of us a different perspective. You know, thank God for that. And I think he's matured us through that because he works all things for the good. You know, it's not necessarily what we think is good because we think good is like more cars, you know. But good is patience and being a kind person and more of a giving and generous and loving person. God sees that as good. And that's the stuff that's not going to burn up when we, we stand before him. And so I'm thankful, you know, I'm thankful for that stuff. And I believe that to some degree we've matured over these 25 years together. And I'm thankful for that. I can look back and I'm like, wow, I was this and that and God had some work to do (laughs) between my ears and in my heart, you know? And he's working on all of us. Um, But I can say 
that when, when we can overcome, the, the, I think the journey gets a little bit lighter faster. I mean, that kind of goes without saying. But the less we carry with us and the less baggage and the less stuff we, you know, whatever, just carry around. Um, you know, and some people have been through some horrible stuff, you know, abuses, divorces, uh, parents leaving, hurts, betrayals. But God is good, you know. And I don't want to stand up here and be trite and say, just pray, you know. Do pray. <laughs> but sometimes I think we just have to give it over to God again and again. Lord, here I am. And just, I think a little more of what we did this morning, just in time with God, I think it does a world of good yeah. for our just being by yourself with the King of Kings. You don't have to do anything. It's, I've tried, I've tried, I've spent, I feel weird today. It's like different than I anticipated this was gonna go. <laughs> but I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to be a good Christian and impress people and that is just death. Don't, don't go there if you're going there. If I can give any kind of warning or whatever. It's not worth it. God's so good and all the people that you try to please, most of them are gone from our life anyway. You know? Life's like that. Life changes. The only constant is change, right? And God. But, I mean, a lot of those people that we try to impress and, and we try to feel good, that's a strong feeling. I think that's why it's so deceptive. And it's, it's not always something. I love what Tozer says. It's not like trying to please people and trying to you know, do things for your ego and all that stuff. It's not things we do, it's who we are because of sin. It's part of our nature, the sin nature, to please, to like try to look good in front of other people or make yourself seem a little better or um, just kind of gloss it all over and you know, try to seem impressive or whatever it is that you do. It's... It's, it's sin, but it's who we are. It's woven, like they say, it's woven into the fabric of our being. And you can't just take it out, you know, without ripping something. God has to come in and he then changes the fabric somehow. I don't know how it works. I'd love to ask him, Lord, how does that work inside? Because I try to, you can visualize all the examples we use of, of stuff like that, but something happens but it's in, the, it's in the depth of our being and that's where God wants us to love Him. Yeah, in that ego place. And there's... I've, I've had a lot of failures, but I just want to talk about a couple, like a quick victory really fast. Not a specific one, but there have been times when I haven't defended myself when I normally would have. Like if somebody said something to me, cross or condescending or whatever and I everything in me wanted to either defend myself as no it was like this or but you you know how we and I didn't and it was very freeing just to be like leaving it with God Lord that person probably didn't really have a real high view of me anyway and my counter argument probably wouldn't have raised or elevated their view of me anyway so why bother you know why not have a 
bad reputation. Not that I'm going out trying to have one, but they see me in a certain way. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I was right. But why not be free of that? And does that mean we never defend ourselves? No. But even scripture talks about why not be wronged? You're going to court for this and that to defend yourself. Why not be cheated? It's all going to burn anyway. And it's, again, that sounds really easy to say right now. But when we come against that client who underpaid us or said something that they thought we did but we didn't, and we have every right in the book to defend ourselves and make it right and prove ourselves and be on top or whatever it is we feel we need to do, it's just, it's not necessary before him because the eyes of the Lord are looking throughout the earth. Man, that scares me in a way, in a good way. It's just like, oh, did I do it again? Did I defend myself when I should have just let it go? And you'll have ample, ample opportunity. I'll probably have twice as much this week. But <laughs> Shoot. But it's like, it's really free. Christ set us free from that stuff. We don't have to live there, you know? So, one of the things that, like Abraham left, that's one of the things we need to leave, is that, that need to be right, prove ourselves, and be on top, or in a meeting, be the one with the clever idea, or the quick remark, or this or that. Man, I'm guilty of all of that. But, you know, let somebody else, even, <laughs> I heard Bruce Lee one time, he, when he gets in an argument with a fool, he just says, you're right. Right or wrong, yeah. <laughs> he is Bruce Lee, right? But it was just, uh, to me, that was just, it's just wisdom. It's just like, you, don't, you know, and I have, found in certain, I know there's examples, I can't think of one right now, where I have just kind of let it go, and it came around and worked out for me anyway, you know, because God did it, and it wasn't me, because I heard somebody say, and I think I've said this before, if you defend yourself, you'll have yourself for your defense, yourself, that's it, but if you leave it to God, you'll have the king of kings as your defender, oh, he's way better at it than us. Like revenge too, right? That's why he says, mine is vengeance. Let me do it. And you just be free. <laughs> just live in the freedom. It's hard to do though. It's hard to do. Especially in the freedom. And we could be talking about being hurt. We could talk about being right and being defensive and all that kind of stuff. It's all kind of the same principle. Just letting it go and saying, okay, God. Because <sighs> think about how Jesus was betrayed and falsely accused. Man, we hate to be falsely accused. Speaking for myself, I hate it. It's like, because you, you live a life and you somewhat try to have a good reputation as a human, as a businessman, whatever. And then someone comes at you with something. It's like, okay, God. Because what did David do when he was leaving for the second time uh, when Absalom was trying to be king and that guy Shimmy, and that, he would, that guy, I think he was a Levite, I don't know, don't quote me, but the guy who was throwing the dust and rocks at them and accusing him, 
he wasn't just like some guy. He was like, I think he was like a Levite or a Pharisee type person. Am I, do you know? I think so. Yeah, I think and so. Yeah, and a friend of his, exactly. And what did David do? No, told his men. His men could have, you know, the 30 mighty men, just the three, one of the three could have taken him out with his left hand. But David said, no, maybe God told him to do that. Wow, that's humble, man. That's mature, you know? I think that's one of the reasons David was a man after God's own heart, amidst all the things that David did wrong. But that, that ability to kind of prefer others and just kind of leave your reputation to God and all that stuff, that's amazing, actually. Because you think of all the times that we've fought back with our words or get all bound up inside, even if we don't say it. We get all uptight inside about whatever somebody said or did. And it's just like, okay, God, I just need to give this to you. You know, Abraham left. We got to leave all that stuff behind. Just say, Lord, I'm not going to be that person because I believe some of that stuff does keep us from the mature walk that Christ wants us to live. Because it's, it's just, it's all the flesh. It's all the flesh. It's all, you know. If we could turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 18. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's like four weeks right there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called. I just want to skip ahead to verse uh, 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up according to, excuse me, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does, it, does its work. Um, Graham Cook said, and it's stuck with me in my mind, God doesn't measure time, he measures growth. And so it doesn't matter how long something has been, how long you've carried something, how long you've been in sin. It's are you growing? He wants us to grow. 
And you just look at the earth. Every, everything grows, you know. That's what he wants. He wants us to bear fruit. And we can't bear fruit if we're not growing. Every year, every season, the leaves fall off, but then they regrow and then they redo fruit. All the trees are different, obviously, but they, they regrow. It's growing and things are pruned or things fall off because of the seasons, but then they regrow. And that's what God wants. He wants more fruit out of our lives. He wants us to be a people who are constantly bearing fruit. Love, love is patient. Man, if we could just get that, love is patient. Are you patient? Am I patient? We don't even, don't even look at all the other things of love for a moment, just that. Are we showing patience to the person, the checker person? Or, or the person in line in front of us who's writing a hard check. And everybody behind us is like, get a credit card, get a debit card, you know? But this stuff, you know? When maybe that delay could have you bump into an old friend out in the parking lot. Who knows, you know? There's a lot to be said. That's funny, I, I just heard somebody recently talking about laziness. But there's a difference between not being lazy and just relaxing a little bit. You know, not being so tense and uptight. There's a, there's a lot of uptight people in this world. And if we could just be a light to them, you know, of just not being lazy, never, but just not striving so hard and that whole thing. Patient, patient, patient. And it's all, all of this is maturity. All of this is coming, comes under the heading of, of maturity. Letting the past go, not defending ourselves, um, just kind of relaxing a little bit in God, you know? And, and uh, again, I read somewhere, imagine the leisure of God. He is not in a rush. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, one, he's outside of time. He's not aging like we are he has no appointments and yet we're like <sighs> frantic to do this or that you know and uh god's not lazy either god's always working and he's got eight or ten billion things to do at once <laughs> and all the complexities of us but he's very, he still speaks patiently to us. Isn't that amazing? All the stuff going on in government, business, and countries, and nations, and he still is patient with me. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It just, he's so, he's so much different than we are. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Because if he was like me, I'd be probably not here. <laughs> you know? Um, so we are in the process of maturing. The number one, I'm getting to number one now. <laughs> number one key to maturity is obedience. And I wrote this down, it kind of dawned on me. Um, Recently, you can have my, my point two. Number one is the key to maturity is obedience. 
to mature saints have the right view of God and the right view of themselves. And I'll get back into those in a minute. But we can have a right view of God and not obey. Right? We can be full-on perfect doctrinally and theologically and still not. And still be a jealous, angry person or whatever. But conversely, we can have a wrong view of God and still obey. And who's he going to bless? Who's he going to be pleased with? It's like the, the parable of the son. Father said, do this. Son said, no, but then went and did it. Second said, yeah, I'll do it, but didn't. So one just gave lip service and the other one did. He was the one that was obedient and the father was pleased with. So our, our view of God, and there's a lot of fantastic Bible teaching out these days. And I, I hope it continues. But I hope that high quality theological doctrinal teaching is matched with saints who are obedient because it does nothing. God wants a broken and a contrite heart. You can have a broken heart and not be contrite. Matter of fact, um, in Revelation, it talks about how the and people still on earth, the sun scorches them and, and they curse God, right? They're angry at God because of their burning. And then people ask, why is God so permanent with hell? Why couldn't it just be like a thousand years of hell and then they're forgiven or a million years of hell in the burning and the pain and the suffering? Because they'll never repent. They had the chance on earth because they were being scorched just like in hell and they didn't repent. They cursed God. They never, their heart was never contrite. Broken, broken meaning like undone, like I'm ruined, I'm, I'm undone, I, I don't have anything. But they're still not contrite enough to say Jesus is Lord. Because our heart is, you know, and you've seen those people. They just, they, you know the, the stuff they've been through in life and they won't. I remember we were in Germany doing street ministry one time and this, we're out there and there's a small crowd around and this drunk guy goes, somebody was preaching and he goes, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> what? You know, his life was a mess, but he wasn't contrite, you know? Because we can, and we can be that way. Are we willing to leave all of our pride, all of our sin, and just say yes to Jesus, the one who gave it all for us, the one who came and was broken and contrite? He gave it all, and he, complete, he continued to obey. Even in Gethsemane, which I've heard that's the place where Jesus was really crucified, because that's where he finally decided, Lord, I'm going to obey you. The cross was just the manifestation of it. It was Gethsemane that it really took place. Because he, that's where he was like, Father, please take this from me. And can you imagine being so tense that little, little blood came out with the sweat? And, but he said, not my will. After that, it was just a matter of time. But his heart was made up. You know? And I believe Jesus had to make that choice in his human flesh. It wasn't just like as an automatic thing, you know? Which is, blows my mind being God and human, but it is what it is. But man, 
He made that choice. Can we do that? And just even give up that little bit of pride and let our heart be contrite and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've, I've been a complete mess up, a flake, a, a whatever. So having a right view of God, but also having a heart that's just saying, okay, Lord, I don't understand, but I know you're God. You know, I don't know, I don't know how much Abraham knew of God before he uh, said yes, you know? Because just knowing God for a second, you know he's God. You don't have to have years of relationship before you obey. He's God, period, you know? Him being who we are, him being who he is, and we being who we are, we can give nothing else but our absolute surrender. You know? Because he's so high and so mighty and so loving. He's not just all wise. He's not just all strong. He just doesn't know everything. He's also very kind and compassionate with us. And I love that about him. He continually draws us closer and restores us all the stuff, you know? And when we give him all that stuff, he's faithful and he's a good comforter. He's a good friend. When we just say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna let you have your way. Even though we're afraid to give up that pain or we're afraid to give up that egotistical thing or whatever, he'll come in and he'll give us peace, which is a really nice thing because Peace is good. <laughs> so, number one key to maturity is obedience. I'm not going to go into this. I think we're going to wrap it up. Number one key to maturity is obedience. Number two thing for maturity, having the right view of God and the right view of yourself. Maybe we'll go into just a couple of these really quick. Um, we are, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. I would love to do the whole teaching on who God is and his sovereignty. and That's a wonderful thing. Uh, maybe read Psalm 89. That's a wonderful scripture. Uh, just like verses 1 through 18. Just who God is and what he's done and creator and all that stuff. But just a couple things of who we are in Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So that's one, we've been brought near. Who are we? We're close to Christ. We're in Christ, if you read the book of Colossians. Romans 8, 6, uh, sorry, 8, 16 and 17, says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christ is God's son and we are God's sons and daughters. If we indeed suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, and we talk about suffering in the church and most people think, and I often do, of persecution. But it's also suffering to give up things that he's asking you to and repent of sin. There's, some, there's an element of suffering involved there. Or letting go of pride. There's a lot of suffering there for some of us. Right? It's hard to give up. Where I've been egotistical or need to apologize. I'm sorry. You know? He's 
but he comes in and he gives us comfort. But there's some suffering there. But if we're willing to do that, he becomes Lord of our heart and it's obedient and it's, um, it's believing God and he's pleased with that. Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its, so we're set free. I said that earlier, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Galatians 5.1, oh, here it is. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be uh, subject again to the yoke of slavery. It's a freeing thing. You know, those of us who are adults, you know, the, the things of junior high and high school that bind us, you know, the peer pressures and the, the need to please people or to be accepted and dress a certain way so you're, you know, whatever stuff when you're young. It's very freeing now. I can dress however I want. Nobody cares. And I know nobody cares. That's a really freeing place to be. I like that. But take that into more kind of sophisticated or more deep places of, you know, like we talked about before, regret, egotism, uh, the arrogance, defending, all that stuff. Being free from it is really nice. Let me encourage you. Let that stuff go. Let me encourage us. Let's be a people who just say yes. And, and, you know, what about the fear? What about fear? Oh, what about fear? What about the fear of speaking to people about Jesus? That's a scary thing. But are we going to say, Lord, okay, I'm scared. But you said 360 odd times, don't be afraid. Fear not. Just go speak to that person. Just, Just tell them God loves you. Ask them if they've been to church and they'll say, oh, I used to go to church and they'll give you all the power. I'm a good person and da-da-da-da. Great. Let them say what they're going to say, but just give them a little bit of Jesus. Give the Holy Spirit a little bit of room. You know? Because it's not only about them hearing the gospel, it's about you being obedient and stepping out in faith. If David can kill and step out in front of I think more, I'm totally going to get off track here. I think David, his more victory was not killing Goliath. It was, it was defeating the fear in his own army. Yeah. And stepping out saying, I'll go. Maybe he was just a stupid kid, but I don't think so. In fact, he was your age. 17. Man. That, all his big brothers, I'll go. I'll go face. And then he had to step out. They're on their own line, right? Can you imagine he got about 10 feet out? Now he's alone. Dude, Goliath was no big deal. That to me, overcoming that fear, that's huge. You know? He was good at slings. <laughs> but that's, that's huge. Overcoming that pressure. We are set free. Paul considered himself a prisoner of the Lord. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. We're talking about who we are in God. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. That means he had to have a right view of God too, obviously. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me.
Yeah, Father, help us to have that view. That you are with us. And that all the stuff that we need to leave, help us to be people of faith, like the father of our faith, Abraham, who left all that stuff. So Abram left. God, we want to leave all our fear behind. Just leave it at the cross. All our sin, all of our arrogance, all of our insecurities, and the need to be right, and the need to self-preserve, and the need to be in front, the need to be clever, or the one who gets noticed, or whatever. We just surrender all that stuff to you, Lord. And we just declare today, maybe again, maybe for the againth time, Lord, you're our king. And we give it to you today. Lord, and there's, there's a lot of places in our hearts that may or may not be yours yet, but we're going to give them to you as we become aware of them. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me to be the man you want me to be. And that is 100% surrendered to the King of Kings. Because you live in us and you died to give us life more abundantly. And we can't live an abundant life when we're carrying all this stuff and have all these little quote unquote cancers in our heart. God, help us to be humble enough, God, because there's, there's days, <laughs> there's days when we just feel like a worm and I can't do anything. And then the next minute, we're standing up for ourselves like we're the best thing on earth and trying to prove somebody else wrong and make them feel worse. Forgive us, Lord. To love ourselves because you do and to love others because you do. And to leave all that stuff, to be, to be bold and step out like David did. God, we do need your help, but we know you're not gonna do it for us. So we just step out and say yes, and we'll take a step now, take the next step and the next step and the next step. And God, we're going to look back and we're going to be bearing fruit and be like, wow, where did all this fruit come from? But it's even then, it's not us who judges ourselves. You're our judge. But we want to walk in your grace. We want to walk in your strength because Christ lives in us. God, we are your servants. We are your prisoners, prisoners of your gracious love. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for, thanks for being here today. Have a wonderful week.